Welcome to a better late than never edition of Kicking Out at Two this week. As we record this on a Sunday at 9.42 a.m., I am your host, Dave Rosenbluth, and we're going to be covering the very first in-your-house pay-per-view event from the WWF in 1995. Uh, I've never watched that show before, so this Blind Date Diary is going to be a lot of fun, giving you my, my first-hand assessment after I recently watched it on the WWE Network, the Peacock, whatever you want to refer to it as. And since it's in your house, and since NXT is going to be producing an in-your-house event later this evening, I thought I would give you guys... Uh, a couple of quick picks as well. My thoughts on what to what I what I think is going to take place at the uh, the the upcoming NXT Takeover in your house. So that's going to be a lot of fun as well. Um, thank you all for your patience. I really appreciate it. Uh, real life got in the way this week, and unfortunately, I wasn't able to record. Um, so now I'm here Sunday. Going to drop you a little weekend special. Hoping to get uh, this upcoming week's show dropped on Wednesday as well. So uh, that that's going to be a lot of fun. Going to do a little bit of a Hell on the Cell retrospective, if you will. I really don't have much of a format nailed down, but with WWE, um, you know, uh, producing Hell in the Cell pay per view on Father's Day, I thought it would be uh, interesting to, um, to to talk about the, the Hell in the Cell concept. So I got a few ideas I've jotted down a little bit. So. Um, I might be flying it by the seat of my pants this upcoming Wednesday, so be on the lookout for that as well. Um, coming up in all podcast platforms available, where you can find the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network by searching Retromania with a W. You can find this show, Catching Up with Kobe and myself, um, Marking Out the Day's Weekend Warriors, Hulkamania is Dead, Gaijin Wrestling Radio, Origins of Attitude, um, Cool Truth with AC, Hollywood and Edwards, and then Monday Night Marks with Hollywood. Uh, all kinds of great pro wrestling content over there. Searching Retromania with the W. All of these great shows are on Podbean, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and all of the streaming podcast platforms available. And you can check it out. It's evergreen, as, as Kobe would like to say. All these podcasts will bring you back to your wrestling nostalgia, if you will, if you don't have that wrestling nostalgic feeling in you. So check all those shows out over there at the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network by searching Retromania with a W. All right. Um, let's get into it this week. Let's get into it. Um, in Your House 1 is where you're approaching the NXT TakeOver In Your House uh, coming up uh, later this evening. Uh, the very first In Your House pay-per-view took place on May the 14th, 1995 from the Onganda County War Memorial Arena in Syracuse, New York. Roughly 7,000 and some change were in attendance with a pay-per-view buy rate of over 332 homes purchasing this event. Um, what was interesting about this show, okay, is that, you know, the WWF at the time, uh, they, um, they were only producing four to five pay-per-views a year. And this is where they started producing like little mini pay-per-views, if you will. Um, so you had the big five, all right? You had Royal Rumble, WrestleMania, King of the Ring, SummerSlam, and Survivor Series. And then they threw these in-your-houses that would take place in between those months. And those pay-per-views were much shorter and at a different price point. So you didn't see all the stars of the WWF at the time. But um, you saw, you know... A, you saw a good portion of them, and it was under like the pay per view was like under two hours, if you will. So um, it was almost it almost felt like a television special. But you watch the pay per view from 1995, and you get you know 
just about two hours of action. So it, looking back on it now, when I was a kid, I didn't really like the in-your-house pay-per-views. But looking back on it now, it's actually not a bad little novel concept, you know. Um, I mean, in today's pay-per-view world, streaming, whatever you want to call it, um, it wouldn't work. Certainly wouldn't work. Um, everything's at your fingertips right now, and it's at you know different price points. And if you try to charge $19.95 for under two hours of action, most wrestling fans tell you go fuck yourself. So, um, but in $19.95, that's a different story. Um, the show opens with a video package of Todd Pettengill previewing all the upcoming matches for the evening, with the main event being Diesel uh, facing Sid for the World Wrestling Federation Championship, Smoking Guns and challenging Yokozuna and Owen Hart for the tag team titles, Razor Ramon in a handicap match against Double J and the Roadie, Adam Bomb versus Mabel in a King of the Ring qualifying match, and then Bret Hart wrestling twice against Hakushi and Jerry the King Lawler. And, but wait, there's more. Someone is going to win a brand new house in Orlando, Florida. That was the big selling point for this show, was that you put in a letter, you put in an entry, you could win a brand new home. And the WWF gave away a house. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, Vince and Doc Hendricks are on commentary. This would be Michael Hayes' uh, pay-per-view debut in the WWF at the time. He had debuted on Superstars a few weeks prior. So this would be his first go-around on pay-per-view. And he, they paired him up with Vince. And I'll be honest with you... Um, you know, throughout the, the, the course of this show, I wasn't the biggest fan of this pairing. I really wasn't the biggest fan of the Doc Hendricks character. I, I was a Freebird fan from way back in the day, so seeing him in this role, even as a kid, was a little silly. And, uh, yeah, so this this didn't resonate with me as, as well as some of the other commentary pairings uh, over um, over the years. You know, Vince was great with Lawler, JR and Lawler, of course. Some people call the greatest of all time. I'm a big Bobby Heenan and... And Gorilla Monsoon guy, uh, even Vince and Jesse Ventura, but um, you know Vince here with with handsome Doc Hendricks, just it it was it personified what was wrong with the WWF in 1995. I'll just put it to, put it to you like that. But um, anyhow, let's get on with it here. Opening match: Bret the Hitman Hart going one on one with Hakushi. We see clips of um, Hakushi attacking Bret Hart on the March 25th edition of Superstars after Bret was being honored with an award by the Japanese media. And then we cut to Todd Pettengill, who's backstage with Bret. It's a pretty standard hitman promo. He puts over Hakushi's skills and his ability in the ring, but uh, reminds us that he's still the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. Um, he dedicates the match to his mom on this Mother's Day. This show took place on Mother's Day, May the 14th, 1995. And he warns Jerry Lawler, um, uh, what's to come regarding their match later in the evening. Um, I thought this was a great opening match. Hakushi's aerial style really meshed well with Brett's technical style. It was a good blend. Um, throughout the course of the match, you see clips of Lawler watching uh, on a monitor in the backstage area. Um, there was one point in the match, um, Brett you know, does the, uh, the, the, the buckle spot where he runs chest first into the top turnbuckle after being sent in. By his opponent. I thought he sold that really well. Uh, when it comes to little things like that, man, Brett's a... And I've I've had my issues with, with the way Brett conducts himself currently these days in interviews regarding, you know, colleagues of the past. But um, I never have ever taken away his skill and his ability and what he's contributed to the business. And, you know, watching this match, um, it was a godsend 
that he was, you know, still around and able to produce, you know, great matches for the WWF in 1995 during that era when, you know, wrestling really wasn't as popular. Um, and his selling of the, of the buckle spot to the chest really never gets old. Um, I don't think I've seen anybody else do it better since. Maybe Rey Mysterio, but um, Brett's pretty much you know top-notch when it comes to that, that spot there. Uh, the crowd in Syracuse, they were really into this match. Brett was, Brett was really over, but I noticed really over with a female audience, which there was a good amount of females in the audience, judging by the reaction. So uh, that was something that, uh, that I took away from. And uh, Hakushi was getting good heat, really putting it to Brett. Um, like I said earlier, um, the commentary in this match and just throughout this show was not the best, you know, with Vince and Michael Hayes, it sounded different. Um, I just felt like Hayes didn't really mesh well with Vince, despite him being a good talker. It just, he, he, Michael P.S. Hayes was cool. Handsome Doc Hendricks was a nerd and I don't know. It just, I, I, I didn't like it. I personally didn't like it. Um, we see an impressive diving headbutt by Hakushi off the top rope, and then he goes for another but misses, and that results in Brett uh, beginning his comeback in the match. We see a side Russian leg sweep, a bulldog, and a backbreaker, uh, leading to a second rope elbow drop um, from the from the hitman. He attempts the sharpshooter, but Shinja, Hakushi's manager, is up on the apron to distract him, and Hakushi tries to attack him from behind, but Brett counters and nails him with a front-faced atomic drop. Then we see a suicide dive by Brett onto the floor to attack Shinja, which gets a pretty big pop. Um, Brett would then roll back into the ring to eat a drop kick from Hakushi. Suplex attempt would be blocked by Brett and reversed onto the outside to the floor. Hakushi would then hit an acai moonsault to Brett on the floor from the second rope. Um, Hakushi attempt a German suplex, but Brett counters into a victory roll for the win at 14 minutes and 39 seconds. This is a great match. Lots of for the win at 14 minutes and 39 seconds. This is a great match. Lots of action. Great way to start the show. Um, Hakushi showed a lot in this in this match. He was on par every step of the way with Brett, um, and it's a shame, obviously, that he didn't get a proper push after this um, after this match. I really enjoyed the match. Um, I'll go on record as saying it right now. Um, best match of the night from what I saw. Uh, and like I said, it really a shame that these two didn't, you know, hook it up some more um, in the WWF following this match. Um, post-match, we see Brett exiting the ring and he twists his knee, which the announcers point out um, on commentary, and that he may not be 100% heading into his match with Jerry the King Lawler later in the night. Uh, we cut to Todd Pettengill, who's backstage with the WWF Women's Champion, Alundra Blaze, who is on the 1-900 line talking to some fans when the King walks in and he wants to get his match over with versus Brett, like right now, knowing that he's hurt. Um, Lawler blames his beeper for leaving um, the set, knowing that Brett would arrive shortly after Pettengill informs him that Brett's going to talk to the fans on the 1-900 line. Um, and then we get Stephanie Wyand, the female um, backstage interviewer, which was very rare at that time. She was like Todd Pettengill's little sidekick. Uh, I forget where they... Where, where they where they hired her from I, she must have been she must have been in television doing something um, but wrestling just wasn't for her she was a short-lived uh, 
uh, experiment in the WWF. And uh, she's at by the In Your House set previewing the, the, the giveaway for the house, showing all the letters in the big bin um, as we see Double J, Jeff Jarrett, and the roadie enter for their match to take on Razor Ramon. Um, one, two, three, kid is on the phone with Vince McMahon discussing the upcoming match. Um, the kid is hurt and he wants to, he, you know, he wants to be there bad to back up Razor, but he's going to be back to finish business with Double J and the roadie very soon. Um, we see Razor Ramon on back, uh, backstage on a split screen discussing the upcoming match. Razor assures the kid he's going to take care of business and send Mama Ramon a special Mother's Day shout out, chico. Um, now, here's, here's something that was interesting. They advertised this handicap match as the first time ever on pay-per-view. Um, not that anyone really cared, to be honest, but they were, you know, Doc was like, you know, this is the first time a handicap match has been on WWF pay-per-view. Um, doot, doot, doot. Uh, so, um, yeah, nobody really cared about that. Uh, this is a pretty standard handicap match. Um, you got the ex- inexperienced roadie getting his cheap shots in on Razor, making quick tags to Double J. Um when he seems to be in trouble, or if Double J sees an opening. Um, it's like Double J just kind of sends his roadie, his flunky, if you will, to do all the dirty work, and then he'll come in and take his cheap shots when he can. Um, we got a lot of multiple unsuccessful attempts by Razor to fight from underneath to gain the upper hand. Crowd obviously solidly behind Razor. Um, referee noticed this a lot, allowing too many double-team offense from Jeff Jarrett and the roadie. Vince mentions it a lot on commentary. Um, Razor goes for a Razor's Edge on Double J, but gets back body dropped over the top rope. The referee would be distracted with Jarrett, and Rhodey delivers a flying clothesline off the second rope to Razor on the outside. Um, Anytime Razor would gain any kind of slight advantage, Jeff Jarrett would find some kind of counter. Uh, The finish comes when Jeff Jarrett goes for the figure four. Razor counters, sending Jarrett crashing into the Rhodey. Razor then sets him up and delivers the Razor's Edge for the win at 12 minutes and 36 seconds. Post-match would see the Rhodey and Jarrett beat on Razor, uh, give him a figure four when Aldo Montoya would try to make the save, but would get taken out. Then they continued to work on Razor's knee when a random guy comes to help Razor Ramon. The announcers don't really know who he is, but the crowd is loving it. Uh, Referees and officials try to separate him from Jarrett and the Rhodey. Later on, it would turn out to be the debut of Savio Vega. Um, we cut back to Jerry Lawler in the backstage area. He's arguing with Jack Tunney and another WWF official over his match with Bret Hart. He wants the match right away, obviously knowing that Bret's hurt. And um, therefore, uh, you know, Tunney's not going to give it to him. Uh, we get an interesting video package previewing Sid, showing his dominance since he had joined uh, the Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase's million dollar corporation attacking Shawn Michaels who he used to be the bodyguard of the night after Wrestlemania eliminating Bam Bam Bigelow from DiBiase's corporation uh, attacking Razor Ramon during his pyro entrance I thought this was a nice little video package to kind of show us and 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 reintroduce us to Sid Uh, it'd been a, a number of years since Sid had been on television and you know he came back right before Wrestlemania to be Shawn Michaels bodyguard but he was pretty much in a bodyguard role. Um, but now he was front and center as like the centerpiece of the million dollar corporation with Ted DiBiase. So um, this was a nice little uh, little uh, video package, if you will, that, that, that kind of, you know, gets us a real feel of what Sid's all about. I thought this was interesting that they threw this in the middle of a pay-per-view. This is something that they usually, at the time, used to show a lot on television, like on Superstars or, or Action Zone or even Monday Night Raw. So... 
then we get Barry Dedinsky at ringside hawking Bret Hart's merchandise as Mabel enters the ring for his King of the Ring qualifying match against Adam Baum. This match was absolutely nothing to write home about. The allotted amount of time that was given for this match was very appropriate with this pairing. Um, Adam Baum tried with a plancha over the top to Mabel and a slingshot clothesline. Um, We would see a top rope clothesline delivered by Adam Baum, which would only get a one count. And then uh, Baum would Irish whip Mabel into the corner, but Mabel would counter and deliver some sort of weird rolling spin kick. This was was pretty weird. Hardly even connected, too. Uh, But Vince sold it like it was, you know, like it was fucking doomsday or something um then adam bomb would attempt to cross body mabel would catch him and slam him for the win at one minute and 54 seconds like i said i'm glad this match didn't go longer than it did i'll just leave it at that uh we get todd pettengill backstage in the one nine hundred nine one nine hundred hotline room whatever the fuck you want to call it He's backstage with Razor Ramon, who introduces us to Savio Vega as an old friend and an ally from the Caribbean. Um, I don't know, for some reason watching this interview, listening to Scott Hall's fake Latin accent was excruciating. I, uh, as a kid, Razor Ramon was believable to me, but now as a 38-year-old man, it was... It, for some reason, it just... I, I, I didn't like it. It, it, was, it was hard to listen to. You know, it was very, very hard to listen to. I could see why most people in 1995 didn't like to watch the WWF. As, as great as Razor Ramon was, as great as the character was watching him growing up, man, some, some older folks that watched, I'm sure, you know, had their reasons why they didn't like it. This was probably one of them. Um, coming up next, we have the Smoking Guns taking on Owen Hart and Yokozuna for the WWF Tag Team Championship. Um... This was a rematch from WrestleMania 11 as Owen Hart introduced Yokozuna back to WWF television as his mystery partner to take on the Smoking Guns, and they captured the WWF Tag Team titles at WrestleMania 11. So this is the rematch on pay-per-view. Jerry Lawler shows up at ringside demanding his match with Brett on the spot, but he's escorted by the referees as the the Smoking Guns are waiting for the Tag Team Champions to to arrive. Uh, We also get a shot of Bret Hart backstage. Shows him nursing his injury. Um, this match here, I felt like I felt like it had potential to be a really good match, but um, I w- I'm guessing due to Yoko's size and his weight, uh, the match was 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 cut short. Um, Owen worked the majority of the match, uh, get little quick tags to Yoko to do some you know impressive offensive maneuvers, and then back to Owen. Um, I'm thinking, like I said, I'm thinking Yoko's health you know, played a, a factor into this. Um, this was nothing special. This match really wasn't. Uh, the heels, they isolated the baby faces with double team maneuvers, had a lot of frequent tags in and out, like I said before. Um, the baby faces would eventually turn it around as Billy Gunn would ram Yoko into the turnbuckle. He makes the tag to Bart, who starts to come back on Owen. Lots of quick falls by Brett leading to the Gunn's double team maneuvers, only to get a two count. Um, finish would come when Cornette distracts the referee. Um, as Yoko, Yoko drops a leg drop to Bart on the outside. He picks him up, rolls him back into the ring. His own makes the cover for the win at five minutes and 44 seconds. Yeah. Like I said, really nothing special to write home about with this, with this match here. Uh, I was kind of disappointed that it was short as it was. Um, we get Todd Pettengill who is backstage with Diesel to discuss his match with Psycho Sid. Well, he wasn't referred to as Psycho Sid at the time. 
Um, but uh, Diesel talks about losing his mother last year and how his head might not be in the right place given that it's Mother's Day um, as he goes into his match with Sid. But he wants to wish all the moms a happy Mother's Day. He talks about how he's physically 100% ready for Sid. And then his relationship with Sean gets gets brought up by Pettengill and talks about how that's changed and how Sid's attack on Sean the night after WrestleMania lit a fire under him. Um, and then, of course, it's 1995. We have to be corny. And Diesel ends the interview would say by, by telling Sid that he ain't seen nothing like this before. Cuckoo, kachoo, happy Mother's Day. Oh, my goodness. I, I, I've been one to defend Kevin Nash over the years for things that he's done, including the finger poke of doom with, with, with Hulk Hogan. WCW, but I can't defend that. I mean, you know, when I was in the seventh grade, Big Daddy Cool was Big Daddy Cool to me. You know, he was he was he, he was laid back and 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 soft spoken and just a, a, a cool looking dude. That's what a, that's what a, a, appealed to me with the Diesel character. You know, he was tall. I was one of the taller kids in my grade at the time. But then I watched this and I'm like, this ain't fucking cool. There ain't nothing cool about cuckoo, choo happy Mother's Day. I mean, come on. Anyhow, we're back in the arena, and Jerry Lawler's in the ring with his mom, who, by the way, looks amazing. Obviously, it's not his mom. He's pretending this lady is his mom. Everyone's questioning that this isn't his mom because she's some hot-smoking model that's, you know, 20 years younger than him. Anyhow, he cuts a promo on the crowd. Um, he said his mom... Um, actually his mom cut a promo too as well. She said she's going to be so proud to see her son beat Brett and that when it's over, she's challenging Helen Hart to a match. Um, Brett's in the back with Todd Pettengill and Todd asked him about his leg and Brett said that he's a hundred percent. Looks like the hitman played a trick on the King. Um, they show him like kind of, you know, playing with his leg, if you will. I guess, you know, it was a fun little story leading into the match. They kind of made it a common thread throughout the pay-per-view. Brett hurt himself leaving the ring and, Lawler wants the match now that he's, you know, Brett's injured and he wants it right away, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Brett does like a fake limp to the ring to mock Lawler. Lawler's starting to realize that the hitman fooled him. Um, this this was a this was a pretty fun match. I honestly wanted to see this match go longer. I'll be honest with you. I really did. Brett, you know, would get the revenge on the chicken shit heel Lawler. Uh, that story kind of played out really well in the match. Um, Shinja would arrive at ringside, Hakushi's manager, to distract the ref who gets his foot caught in the middle rope and is hung upside down. Hakushi arrives and nails Brett off the top rope with a double axe handle and then again with a diving headbutt multiple times. Referee is finally untied as Lawler rolls up Brett for the win at five minutes and one second. Like I said, this is another match that was too short. Um, I wouldn't have minded seeing these guys go longer. Uh... I guess for the story with Brett and Lawler, it looked like this was going to advance. Eventually, we would see King of the Ring, the Kiss My Foot match. So, um, this was just kind of a little bit of a teaser. I was disappointed because these two guys had great chemistry. They could put on a great match. Um, the post-match saw the heels attack Brett, but he would end up making the comeback and cleaning houses. Lawler would walk out with his mom. Once again, a little disappointed this match didn't go longer. Uh, Brett had, like I said, great chemistry with Jerry Lawler, one of the brighter spots of 1995. I know Lawler from time to time would, you know, bounce back and forth between commentary and doing some in-ring stuff. And this was one of those cases here. That's why they put handsome Doc Hendricks, doot, 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 in the commentary role with Vince. But, um, yeah, these two 
they could have gone they could have gone probably another five minutes longer i feel like maybe even a little 10 minutes longer um but i get it the story they were trying to advance brett worked earlier in the evening and you know lawler and brett were eventually going to meet up at king of the ring uh the next month in that kiss my foot match which by the way i believe dennis and i in a couple of weeks are going to be watching that with all of you on the peacock uh, as a part of our new uh, new theme, the Stinker Series, where we're going to watch some shitty wrestling. Because according to Dennis, that's the worst King of the Ring event, one of the worst pay-per-views he's ever watched. So we're going to watch that. We're going to have a lot of fun, laugh at it. You can watch it with us uh, in watch-along form uh, in just a couple of weeks, if you will. But uh, nonetheless, um, yeah, um, that, was, that was that. So, uh, like I said... Five minutes, one second, probably could have gone a few minutes longer, but um, it didn't, and I think it was just done to advance the story even more. And then we get uh, Psycho Sid backstage discussing his match with Diesel. He says, Diesel, your time has run out. As the WWF champion, you'll become a symbol of many victories and a phantom with no one to help you. I am the master. That was pretty much the gist of his promo. Up next, it's time to give away a house. A brand new house in Orlando, Florida. As Todd and Stephanie are in front of the set, as they show the the, 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 the property, uh, real estate people coming to the, 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 the set to verify the, 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 the winner and everything. Um, they, they, they grab a couple of rakes and they rake the letters in the, in the big bin to make sure it's all mixed up together. And they finally pick out an entry. Uh, the real estate representatives open the envelope and then Stephanie and Todd call the winner on the phone. They dial up and they ask for Matt Pompicelli from Henderson, Nevada and the family. You can hear him in the background screaming. They won the house. Uh, crowd was pretty, we got a mild pop from the crowd. I don't think the crowd really cared too much if someone won a house, but it was kind of fun that, um, that, uh, you know, that, that we got to witness that on live pay-per-view. Um, Pyro goes off at ringside. It's funny, actually. Um, I did some research and did a follow-up. This kid, Matt Papaselli, he was interviewed by WWE.com a number of years ago, and uh, he revealed that he sold the house three months after he bought it because his family had just moved to Nevada from New York for a, a job promotion that his father had gotten. So he sold the house for $175,000, which pretty much paid for his college education. So that that's kind of cool. Um, he did some vignettes with like the Bushwhackers and, uh, you know, a couple of other superstars when, you know, on like Mania and Super and WWF Superstars and Action Zone, those, those syndicated shows, um, to, you know, as a follow up from the In Your House pay-per-view, but, uh, never got to live in the house, he said. So, uh, that was interesting. And I'm kind of surprised too, like usually nowadays when they do contests like that, um, I know that like there's like a stipulation where like, you know, if you win a house, you, you can't, you know, or at least back in the day, I believe you, if you won a house, you couldn't turn around and sell it and make a profit off of it after a certain amount of years. But, um, in this case here, uh, the WWF, um, you know, I, I guess that stipulation wasn't in there because the kid said sold it for 175 grand. It was a nice home too, from what they showed on television, you know, on a golf course in Orlando, outside, outside of Orlando, I'd love to actually go to the address as, you know, one, you know, it would be kind of cool to just go to the house and take a picture in front of it and be like, this was the in your house house. And I wonder if the people currently living in it know that it was used as a, excuse me, 
as like a giveaway in a contest. Um, that'd be kind of fun. Uh, maybe the next time WrestleMania goes to Florida, I'll, 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 I'll be a stalker and track down that house. Hopefully, I won't get arrested. <laughs> no, I won't do that. That'd be pretty stupid. Um, just thinking about it now sounds stupid. Anyhow, um, the main event's coming up next. It's Diesel defending the WWF Championship against Sid. The, the, the million-dollar monster from the corporate, the million-dollar corporation, representing Ted DiBiase's million-dollar corporation. Um, this match was slow and sloppy at times. Um, both guys looked like a million bucks. They really did. But in my opinion, these two just did not mesh well together. They were two big men that worked very well with guys that were smaller. Um, and I'm a big Kevin Nash guy, okay? I, I, I really am. I don't... I'm not one of those that shit on him for the finger poke of doom or for his alleged backstage politics. And hell, I even like Sid too. I think there's a there was a lot left on the table when it came to creative scenarios and creative possibilities for Sid in both WWF and WCW. I really do. Sid's one of those guys where if he didn't get out of his own way with his own bullshit, you know, with the softball and all that other stuff and, and even his injuries, Sid would have Sid would have been a huge star. Huge star. I mean, we would be talking about him as one of the greatest big men of all time. Right up there with like Andre the Giant, Undertaker, Kane, Big Show. You know what I mean? But Sid's one of those guys when it comes to that discussion that like he's the what could have been. And that's the case here. Um, Yeah, this match was just not very good at all. Um, Sid would work on the the story pretty much being Sid works on the back of Diesel uh, stemming from an attack by Henry Godwin earlier in the weekend. I guess Henry Godwin was acting on behalf of the Million Dollar Corporation, even though he wasn't an official member. Um, Sid would end up legitimately hurting Diesel's elbow from a powerbomb later in the match when Diesel landed wrong. Um, but he would continue to work on the back some more with strikes to the back forearms, even a camel clutch at one point. There was nothing, absolutely nothing scientific about this match whatsoever. Um... We would see Sid nail Diesel with that power bomb that injured his elbow, uh, only for him to kick out at two, and then he would continue to work on Diesel. When all of a sudden Diesel would start to hulk up, which was another one of those things. It was like they it was like they were going by the Hulk Hogan formula here with the baby face, and I just it it just looked funny. It really did. You know, I'm a big Hogan guy, and nobody does it better than Hogan. You know, and this was a case here where. They, they tried to adopt it, you know, in, in some form or fashion. I don't know if Diesel was doing it as, a, 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 you know, to mock Hogan, but, yeah. Just another thing that was wrong with the WWF in 1995. Um, you would see Diesel delivered to Snake Eyes in the corner, big boot, and a jackknife to Sid, when all of a sudden Tatanka would interfere, causing a disqualification, and Diesel would win at 11 minutes and 31 seconds. Thank God. That match was only 11 minutes and 31 seconds. <laughs> um, the heels would attack Diesel some more until Bam Bam Bigelow would arrive and make the save to clean house on Tatanka as Sid would retreat. Um, you'd see a babyface curtain call, uh, you know, with the crowd uh, as Pyro's going off. Vince signs off, promoting King of the Ring the next month. And that is the end of In Your House number one. The very first in your house from May the 14th, 1995. Um, I'll be honest with you. Watching this show, this show wasn't bad. It wasn't too bad, but it wasn't great either. Um, go out of your way to watch Bret Hart Hakushin. 
Really do. Go out of your way to watch Bret Hart and Hakushi because that was a great match. Absolutely good stuff. Um, and like I said, probably should have been, they should have elaborated more on Bret Hart and Hakushi in, in, in 1995. Because unfortunately, Hakushi was used as like a tool to get to Bret and Lawler. And Bret and Lawler had already established some history. So maybe Bret could have done something with Hakushi following. I mean, 1995 was not very kind to Bret Hart. You know, let's be honest here. Bret Hart went from challenging for the championship against Diesel to WrestleMania with Bob Backlund in that awful I Quit match to then doing stuff with Hakushi and Lawler, Kiss My Foot, then Isaac Yankum, the dentist, then he wrestled the Pirate because the Pirate stole his fucking jacket, only to then come back full circle and be in the title picture. So Bret Hart had a weird 1995. And I don't blame him for being bitter at times when it comes to that. But at the same time, he also made the best of what he what was placed in front of him and... Uh, did a solid job holding down the holding down the fort in the WWF in 1995 when Diesel, as the WWF champion, wasn't really doing great drawing wise. And that's no disrespect to him because I'm a big Diesel guy. But wrestling sucked in 1995. Looking back on it, really did both WWF and WCW. Don't care what anyone says, it fucking sucked. All right, that's my blind date assessment here on In Your House One. Let me give you a little bit of a preview, if you will, some quick picks regarding. NXT TakeOver In Your House is going to take place tonight on the Peacock. I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a fun show. Um, I, I'm really looking forward, you know, while we're on the subject of Ted DiBiase and the Million Dollar Corporation, DiBiase is going to be a part of this show as the possession of the Million Dollar Championship belt is going to uh, be hanging in the balance when LA Knight takes on Cameron Grimes. Um, this has been an interesting storyline heading into this match. Uh, L.A. Knight debuted um, shortly uh, before um, before uh, uh, NXT TakeOver um, Stand and Deliver uh, around WrestleMania time. And he's been, you know, positioned as, I wouldn't say the next big thing in NXT, but he's, you know, they, they got a spotlight on him. And then Cameron Grimes was off TV and he came back and all of a sudden he inherited a bunch of money from, from investing in, in, in Bitcoin or whatever the fuck. And now all of a sudden he's a millionaire and they brought DiBiase in. And it's been a little interesting um, turn of events, if you will. This smells very much like Lex Luger Tatanka SummerSlam 1994 where we think he's going to side with LA Knight. But then we do the good old swerve bro and it's Cameron Grimes that ends up walking out with the million dollar championship but I think personally they're not going to go that route I think we're going to see LA Knight climb the ladder and grab the million dollar championship and they're going to add something to him because I, I, I like LA Knight former um, uh, what's his name Eli Drake from Impact Wrestling I think he had a lot of potential uh, and He's now in NXT where he could be showcased better. And I think adding the Million Dollar Championship will kind of give him a little bit of a shine. I don't know if DiBiase is going to be his manager. It might. It sounds like DiBiase might be a part of NXT moving forward as the manager for, for LA Knight. So this will be interesting to see uh, what kind of pairing these two um, become if that's the route they're going. I mean, Paul Ellering returned to WWE a number of years ago and did a great job with the Authors of Pain. In NXT, and then once they sent him up to the main roster, it was a fucking joke, as we all know. But um, I, have, I have a strong feeling DiBiase and Knight are gonna be a be a, a pairing. He's gonna have the main dollar championship, and 
things are going to be onward and upward for LA Knight. So I'm picking LA Knight to win the the ladder match for the possession of the million dollar championship. There's a winner take all six man tag team match with Bronson Reed, the North American champion, and MSK, the NXT tag team champions, to take on Legado de Fantasmo with um, Santos Escobar and. Um, Fuck, I don't even know the other two's name. And that's awful for me to say. I'm going to actually look this shit up right now. I'm going to Google it right now because I'm so sorry. Um, NXT TakeOver In Your House 21. Let's look at the card, the official card for this show here. I apologize. Um, here we are. Let's see the official card for NXT TakeOver. Um, all right, I got it right here. Yep. Um the Gallo de Fantasmo. Uh, who do we got? Who do we got here? Yeah, I'm sorry. Once again, uh, not my best. Um, yeah, the Gallo del Fantasmo. Um, who are these three fucking guys? What are they? I know there's Santos Escobar is the is the, the, the leader. And then we have the former, um, that kid from TNA, the, the, the DJ. What the fuck is his name? All right, anyhow. That's my bad. So, um, I'm going to go with Bronson Reed and MSK winning the 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 winner-take-all six-man tag team match. Bronson Reed just became the North American champion, and MSK just won the tag team title, so I don't see them getting knocked off their perch anytime soon. Uh, six-man tag team winner-take-all. That should be a lot of fun. That's probably going to open the show tonight, I would imagine. We're also going to see um, Raquel Gonzalez defend the NXT Women's Championship against Ember Moon. That should be a fun match. Raquel Gonzalez has grown on me. She reminds me a lot of Diesel, okay? Diesel in 1995. And uh, Dakota Kai reminds me a lot of like that Shawn Michaels-Diesel pairing where you know Raquel, who's the big heater for Dakota, is, is, is the one that's gaining the success in a singles role in NXT. So... I see her continuing that path of dominance and defeating Ember Moon, but I think we're going to see more and more Raquel Gonzalez develop a babyface role, and it's going to lead to a split with her and Dakota. I just smell it. It smells like Shawn Michaels Diesel 1995. It really does. Um, I'm not saying they'll be the two dudes with attitudes and they'll be cool and all the other stuff, but um, it just smells like they're leading to that sort of tension. Maybe Dakota helps her win and she doesn't want the help and that's how we start something or maybe they maybe Raquel just you know gets the win on her own and we continue this and slow burn it if you will um and then we're also going to see on this show um for um the NXT so we got the six man we got the the ladder match for the million dollar title. We got the women's ship. We got Merce- Mercedes Martinez, local Connecticut girl, Waterbury, Connecticut. I used to see her wrestle for Jason Knight's Assault Championship Wrestling when I was 18, 19 years old, right after you know the wrestling world changed when the WWF bought everything. Um, Mercedes Martinez going one on one with Zia uh, Zia Lee. Uh, they've been they they changed up Zia Lee's character. She's a little bit more darker. She's being controlled by some dude. If I'm gonna go with somebody winning, I'm gonna go with Zia Lee here. Um, Mercedes Martinez is gonna eat the pinfall here because it looks like they're they're really putting some stock into Zia Lee. And finally, the main event for the evening: Fatal Five Way match for the NXT Championship. Karrion Cross defending the title against Kyle O'Reilly, Pete Dunne, Johnny Gargano, and Adam Cole, baby. 
Um, you know, Carrying Cross, they they they've seen big things in him. Okay, you know, last year he won the NXT title, and then he had to forfeit it due to injury, and they put it on Finn Balor for a while, and then he beat Finn Balor at uh, NXT Takeover Stand and Deliver just a couple nights before WrestleMania earlier this year, and I I feel like that they they see big things for Cross, and I have a feeling. It could go either way. I, I'm Cross just won the title a couple of months ago, so I don't see him. I can't. I, I could see him not dropping the title tonight and and coming out the victor, but I could also see him losing the title and not being pinned, and then moving on to Raw or SmackDown. There's a draft coming up in September, okay? So I could see that possibly taking place, or I could just see him get moved to Raw or SmackDown now. I, I could very much see that. I, I, the way that they've positioned him, the way that they've pushed him, the way that they've showcased him, they see a lot in him. They see main roster. As much as I don't want to demote NXT in that in that sense, they see main roster when it comes to him. So um, if I'm going to go with a pick, I'm going to pick that he's going to lose the championship, but he's not going to be pinned tonight. And winning that championship out of the four... I'm going to say, damn, that's hard. I can't, I, I mean, all right, let, let me, let me, let me think about this here for a minute. Okay. Johnny Gargano, Johnny Takeover. He's got this little group, The Way, with, you know, Austin Theory and Candice LeRae and that other chick who's in love with um, uh, Sam Shaw, whatever the fuck his name is, the weirdo now, um, Dexter Loomis. Um, he's been, he's been on a roll with that little group there. I wouldn't mind seeing him be the NXT world champion with that little group, kind of backing him up, doing his dirty work. On the other hand, Pete Dunne, Pete Dunne as the NXT champion would add some credibility to that title. If it it already does, but add even more credibility due to his reign as the NXT UK champion. I wouldn't have a problem with Pete Dunne being the NXT champion. Now, Adam Cole, he's been there, done that, but Adam Cole's so freaking good that I have no problem seeing him as the NXT champion. In fact, I was at NXT TakeOver 30 when he beat Johnny Gargano in Bridgeport, Connecticut and started his long reign as the NXT heavyweight champion. I believe he is the longest reigning NXT heavyweight champion in NXT history. So um, I'd have no problem seeing Adam Cole hold the NXT title. However, which which, which leads me to Kyle O'Reilly. Kyle O'Reilly is this ultimate underdog right now Breaking away from the Undisputed Era. He's still got some stuff going on with Adam Cole. I could see these two fighting over the championship as well. These former best friends. But it's such a personal rivalry. I could see them also not fighting over the championship as well. And if Cole does, or I'm sorry, if Kyle O'Reilly does win, then it's when he beats Adam Cole for the championship. So if there's anything... I'm gonna, you know, if I'm gonna pick someone, I'm gonna pick Adam Cole to win it. I mean, I don't see them putting Adam Cole on Raw or SmackDown anytime soon, and I kind of don't want them to. I, I'd like to see Adam Cole on his own without the Undisputed Era, maybe as the NXT Champion uh, once again, and you know, Kyle O'Reilly chasing him for the title. Uh, O'Reilly beat him in that non-sanctioned match at Takeover Stand and Deliver Night Two before WrestleMania earlier this year, so. Maybe they pick up where they left off, and but this time the NXT Championship's involved. So um, I could see 
Cole winning it. Cross doesn't get pinned, so that kind of saves face for him. And then, lo and behold, he goes to Raw or SmackDown, makes a big impact. In fact, he should probably go to Raw. SmackDown's pretty... I think it's fine in my opinion right now, but I think he should go to Raw personally. Now, Finn Balor as well, he's probably going to head to Raw or SmackDown too. It wouldn't surprise me if he went to either either show. I think, you know, his rebranding was done very well in NXT. I, I think they did a great job of that and making him into a more serious character. Hopefully that leads to the same kind of success over on either Raw or SmackDown moving forward. So, um that's about it for me this week here. Thank you so much for being patient with me. And, um, you know, I, I really appreciate it. Dropping the show on a Sunday. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoy NXT TakeOver in your house this evening. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop another show this Wednesday. So we're going to kind of be close together, if you will. Going to be doing some Hell in the Cell retrospective. Like I said, got a few ideas jotted down. Don't really know what I'm going to be doing. Maybe a, maybe a little watch along of, of an old Hell in the Cell. Maybe I'm going to talk about... The older Hell in the Cells. Maybe I'm going to talk about how Hell in the Cell, the concept itself has shit the bed. I don't know. But I'm going to have some sort of Hell in the Cell retrospective as we head into the Hell in the Cell pay-per-view event, which is next Sunday, Father's Day, on the WWE Peacock Network, if you will. So, with that being said, I think it's officially about that time that we put this show down for the three count. And we will see you all this Wednesday.